Welcome to the Daily DDT Podcast, part of the Fan Sided Podcast Network. Here's your host, Jaden Becker. AEW Revolution ends with a dud. I'm Jaden Becker, and this is the Daily DDT Podcast. You can catch this podcast on all your favorite platforms for your morning drive, lunch break, or whenever you need your wrestling fix. Make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts so you never miss an episode. And remember, you can ask your smart device to play the Daily DDT Podcast. If you like content like this, check out our writers at DailyDDT.com. And if you want to hear more from me, give me a follow on Twitter and Instagram at Jaden Becker TV. Last night was AEW Revolution and a good show at that, but did have a sour ending, at least in my taste. But before we get into that, let's take a look at our news. Joey Mercury files lawsuit against Ring of Honor. He filed the suit against Ring of Honor and Sinclair Broadcasting, claiming that he was misclassified as an independent contractor when he should have been labeled as an employee for the company through May 2018 to October 2019. The lawsuit also claimed that his increased workload for the promotion wasn't met with increased pay. In addition, Mercury claims that he was forced to resign from Ring of Honor. Mercury seeks compensation damages and due royalties. Mercury worked with Ring of Honor from May 2018 to October 2019 as a trainer and agent. He is not the first talent to dispute their independent contractor status with a lawsuit. Last month, Kelly Klein filed a similar lawsuit against Ring of Honor. AEW announces a new date for their next pay-per-view. On last night's AEW Revolution, AEW announced its next pay-per-view will be Double or Nothing on May 30th. It will take place at Daly's Place in Jacksonville, Florida, which is a change from the original announcement of it happening at the MGM Grand Garden Arena on May 29th in Las Vegas. Obviously a big change there for AEW, but given the times that we are still currently living in, uh, I believe it's been a year now, uh, we still um, have to do things how we've been doing things through COVID, and they're going to continue in Jacksonville, and it's a shame that they can't go to Las Vegas. Hopefully, AEW will find a way there and throughout the rest of the country, hopefully soon. Looking at last night's AEW Revolution, and uh, what a show it was. They had a really, really stacked card on paper. And I think most of the matches did deliver, at least between the bells, that they did deliver. And a big announcement as well in the middle of the show, uh, towards the back end at that, uh, who the big signing was. And I will get to that later. This is going to be in two parts. We're going to do a midway point. There's going to be an ad break in there. But uh, make sure you stick with us the whole way. Definitely want to hear my thoughts, especially, especially on the complete ending of the show. That'll be at the end of the podcast. Starting off the night, however, MJF and Chris Jericho versus the Young Bucks for the AEW Tag Team Championships. Uh, Chaos breaks down as soon as the bell rings with all competitors battling on the outside. Nick Jackson enters on a hot tag and dominates. Jericho looks to lock in the Lion Tamer to win. He ends up locking it on both Nick and Matt Jackson. To no avail, MJF almost wins on multiple near falls, back and forth, back and forth. Jericho strikes Matt Jackson with Floyd, the baseball bat, and then a heat seeker from MJF, but a kickout by Matt Jackson. Jericho's Judas Effect misfires and hits Wardlow. 
uh, Meltzer driver for the Young Bucks to retain the AEW Tag Team Championships. Great match to start off the show. Uh, very high-paced, and you people want to see Chris Jericho. People want to see MJF. I thought it was a great way to start the show. Young Bucks picking up a great victory here. And Jericho was pinned, so it does protect MJF in a way, even though the loss does go on his quote-unquote record that they keep in AEW. Uh, he did not get pinned himself, meaning that he's protected. Uh, I enjoyed it. I think a uh, great match from Jer- uh, Jericho and MJF have perfect chemistry. They do such great work together, and the Young Bucks uh, put on a fantastic match uh, on their own as well. And uh, yeah, gelling together for a solid way to open up the show. Exactly what you want to see, uh, especially from AEW. A nice, quick, fast-paced uh, thing to really get the juices flowing for the night. Next match, Casino Tag Team Royal or Battle Royal. I, I it's pretty much a tag team Royal Rumble where the tag team comes out every 90 seconds and they had the clock on the screen the whole time so you could see it, they weren't fudging it or anything like that they had the clock on the screen at, at all times so it was a, a Royal Rumble but with the tag team coming out in pairs uh, QT Marshall eliminates himself after getting into an argument with Dustin Rhodes. Uh, that could be a storyline developing going forward. Jungle Boy enters with a huge pop uh, from the crowd. I thought that was fantastic. Jungle Boy's music has always been uh, great, especially now. It really fits in with his gimmick and it's just doing everything right. Jungle Boy, one of the greatest pure wrestlers in AEW at the moment. Uh, the final four are John Silver, Pac, uh, Jungle Boy, and Ray Phoenix. Uh, Silver is thrown out. Jungle Boy uh, versus Death Triangle. So it's more of a two-on-one situation as Ray Phoenix and Pac are on the same team. Uh, It turns into uh, Phoenix versus Jungle Boy as Pac is eliminated. Great one-on-one, by the way. Uh, Phoenix eliminates Jungle Boy to win for a future title opportunity for the AEW Tag Team Championships, which will be against the Young Bucks. No word when that will be, but I believe there is a singles match coming up on Wednesday between uh, Phoenix and I want to say it's uh, Matt, but I could be wrong there. Next match, Hikaru Shida versus Ryo Mizunami for the AEW Women's Championship. Hikaru Shida coming into this match as the champion, of course, the longest reigning champion in no matter what belt in AEW currently. Mizunami, Mizunami sure puts on a show, in, in, in not in a wrestling sense, but in a theatrical sense. Uh, you know, just the pomp and circumstance of her gimmick and what she does in the ring between the bells is sort of very showy, especially early on in the match. And uh, for me, I don't get much joy from it, to be honest. Um, it's not my huge cup of tea when it's like that, especially like, I don't like when wrestling kind of looks fake, to be honest with you. And that's what it sort of looks like for me. Same thing how I sort of feel about Orange Cassidy sometimes, even though I think he kind of perfected that type of gimmick. Uh, Mitsunami, in, in my mind, uh, she doesn't hold that standard for me. For you, she might, and you could be completely right. But coming from a ca- like more of a casual Japanese watcher and uh, a person that might not get it completely, uh, and even just speaking from the perspective of a, a fan that might be watching AEW for the first time or really trying to get invested up because they saw the main event was a death match, uh, they might have thought this would, could have been a little off or a little weird. But either way, uh, to each their own when it comes to AEW. People find different joys and different things uh, with AEW, and that's what makes it great. Guillotine leg drop kick out by Shida. Uh, intensity really builds up towards the back end of the match 
with strong, strong strikes that you only see in that Japanese style, back and forth pins, knockout blow for Shida to retain the title. It was a spinning knee striker, spinning kick that got uh, Mizunami down. And uh, Mizunami and Shida are attacked by Nyla Rose, by Britt Baker, and by newcomer that they had in um, AW in the, in the pre-show, uh, Ito. And I thought that was great to have them all come out. They're going to have a six-way match. And uh, they were end up saved by, by Thunder Rosa as well. So that's where the six-women ma- six match comes from uh, on this episode coming up of AEW. And I thought this was a decent match. Uh, somehow they found a way to also put this around the 9 o'clock point of the show. And I honestly, it's kind of upsetting given how they, they treat the women's division in AEW. You know, if you open the show with it, it's one thing. Like, you're opening the show with it. And if you put it somewhere towards the middle where I feel like this is, it didn't really do much for me. It's not like it's building towards another match. It honestly felt like a, a cool-off match coming off of the tag team uh, battle royal. So, it was a little odd and a little off-putting for me that it was such putting such a weird place in the card. I feel like they deserve definitely a higher spot given how well this match genuinely was. But the AEW just has not done a great job when it comes to booking women's matches. I know they did a good job throughout the tournament, but that's with some great talent as well. But on their own individual stage, on a, the biggest stages they got right now at AEW Revolution, I feel like they could have done a better job there. Next match, Miro and Kip Sabin versus Best Friends. Best Friends are attacked prior to the match by Miro and Sabin. Chuck Taylor bleeding after being thrown through a glass window. Finally, we get the Miro that we really need to see. The angry Miro, not the Miro that's playing the gimmick of uh, the best man, even though he kind of still is. But we'll get later in the match, we sort of see how that dynamic changes a little bit. Match starts with Chuck Taylor. Uh, to fend off for himself, it's Orange Cassidy still in the back, but he does make his way towards the ring uh, and ends up dominating on a hot tag with some vengeance. Miro saves a pinfall at the absolute last second, which I thought was a really, really nice spot, where I don't know if it was intentional or not how late he kind of got there, but he pushed the head of uh, Taylor to make sure uh, he was able to get get the pinfall broken up. Uh, Miro pushes Cassidy into Penelope Ford, who was standing on the apron. So Ford fell off of the apron and onto the ground, leaving to Kip Sabian to attend to uh, his wife. Uh, Miro locks in uh, the game over or the accolade or whatever you want to call it at this point. The same move that he was doing in WWE. <laughs> same move, uh, which I, it's still good. The camel clutch, if you will. He locks it on to Chuck Taylor, and he picks up the win. I love, 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 love this side of Miro. This is one of my favorite parts of the show. We really get to see Miro uh, turn into this beast, this absolute uh, monster that we know that he could be. And from his in-ring persona, we know how much of a teddy bear he is outside the ring with all the twitch and all the stuff that he he used to do when he was the quote-unquote free agent. And now this beast in the ring and an absolute animal, and taking no regard of who's around, it doesn't even matter if it's Penelope Ford, you could toss her off the ring, whatever, it doesn't even care, he wants to pick up that victory, and he did, and he did, I feel like this was a win that Miro definitely needed to get, and not only did he get a victory, but I felt like we also built Miro a little bit here in AEW, uh, we, we all know what he did with WWE, but now in 
AEW, I really need some substance for him, and this is it. I think I finally we got a sprinkle of it, but not not a ton, but a sprinkle of it, and that's enough for me as it stands right now going forward with Miro. He needs to win a good amount more matches going forward, but he has some big things coming his way, Miro, without a doubt. Next match, Matt Hardy versus Adam Page in a big money match. Uh, the winner gets the first quarter earnings of the person that they defeated. Uh, Page off to a hard, hot start early on, uses his environment in the outside to stay in control, but Hardy attacks the fingers and hand of Page to neutralize the buckshot lariat. Uh, I thought Pete Dunne was on uh, the other Wednesday night show with all the fingers and hand manipulations. I, I felt like I had to say that. because Every time you think about that, they really zoomed in on him manipulating his fingers. I was like, oh, Pete Dunne. What are you doing, man? Training Matt Hardy? Training with Matt Hardy? Terrible. Um, Hardy tries to win by countout, but Paige enters at 9.5. A moonsault from Paige to the outside with uh Page almost with a nasty bump hitting himself on the guardrail, but he seemed to be fine. But it looked a little nasty when it happened. The Dead Eye connects, but Private Party, who was not at ringside originally, does appear and distracts the referees to stop the pinfall. A uh, buckshot lariat uh, reversed into a side effect, twist of fate, and a kick out by Page. Uh, Dark Order enters to save Matt, uh, excuse me, to save Adam Page, and we all know the relationship there between Adam Page and uh, the Dark Order. How Dark Order has continuously, continuously trying to recruit Adam Page, uh, Buckshot Lariat to pick up the win, and a big group hug. So Adam Page gets the first quarter earnings of Matt Hardy. That's sort of a little bit more than I want to get into with this match, but I really just want to talk about what's going to be next for it. Uh, we already seen um, Broken Matt Hardy. I would love to see Broke Matt Hardy with him just no money and something like that. I think that would be a fun gimmick to roll with. Uh, it's not like we need to see Adam Page and Matt Hardy have another match. I really don't think so. But I would like to see Matt Hardy. I wish, honestly, Matt Hardy had a lot more uh, people that he was around giving money to. And I guess there is. I guess there is a couple names out there. But uh, I, I wish like we could see some bounce checks and stuff like that. Just money not coming out his, his way. And just things is really going abrupt for Matt Hardy. I think that would be really, really fun. Big group hug at the end with Adam Page and the Dark Order. He did not confirm himself as a Dark Order member. But given that he, the, he, the Dark Order saved him, uh, there was a big group hug moment. So I thought that was nice as well. Face of the Revolution ladder match, a big brass ring above the ring, and uh, it looked like a big life preserver, it looked like a sonic coin, it looked uh, like a couple things I can't mention on this podcast, but uh, that's what it looked like, and it, it, it was really weird, it honestly it looked like a big life preserver, like or a big like tube floaty that you would get at like the beach, or at the pool that you would lay in, or whatever, that's what it kind of looked like, or, or a sonic coin, and um, yeah, I thought it was a little odd, but just the idea of reaching for the brass ring was, uh, had a couple good visuals during the match as well, Max Caster with the bars, absolute bars, he talked about Lola Bunny. He talked about uh, the you know, Lola Bunny from uh, Space Jam and how they changed the way that she looks, and everyone's been upset about it over the internet. Talked about Dr. Seuss getting canceled uh, because of books that Dr. Seuss wrote that can be interpreted in a different way, and then talked about Governor Cuomo 
which made no sense to me given the fact that they're in Jacksonville. And But for me, I popped crazy because the whole thing with Governor Cuomo now uh, coming, people talking about sexual misconduct and sexual assault allegations and stuff like that. So, uh, about Governor Cuomo and uh, the governor of New York State. And I, I laugh because I, I'm from New York and I'm currently in New York. So for that, that to, for him to say that in Jacksonville made me pop. I thought I thought that was hilarious. I get on Caster sometimes. The last time I talked about him, uh, I did not like his bars. I thought they were whack. I thought they, uh, he's on and off for me. Sometimes they're good bars. Sometimes they're bad. This was it. This is probably his best ever, 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 ever. So, good on cast. We need to see more of these. We need to see more of these. He had everything in there that he needed to. Uh, the match included for the Face of the Revolution ladder match was Cody Rhodes, Lance Archer, Penta, Max Caster, Scorpio Sky, and the two be announced. And that two be announced was Mr. All Ego, Ethan Page. And Ethan Page is All Elite. Yes, 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 yes. I'm a huge fan of Ethan Page. I thought he was a solid part of Impact for a while. I, I, If you go back on my Twitter, I was tweeting about Ethan Page and how much they disrespected him at Hard to Kill after the whole Karate Man Ethan Page thing. That was really, really bad. Really, really, really bad for Ethan Page. And even like, thank goodness I didn't have the podcast then because I would have reamed Impact, reamed them for that, because that whole show was really, really good, Hard to Kill, except what they did with Ethan Page, and literally drove him out of Impact Wrestling because of that, because of that whole fiasco with how poorly edited that even the, the promos for it were. Absolutely terrible. But now, looking to make a new in AEW, and oh boy, for him to be in under the AEW banner and in the AEW ring, uh, even no matter the outcome of this match, he is right up there with me with Darby Allen. He he could be the next TNT champion. He is really that good. He is that good, Ethan Page. I think he's fantastic. Uh, Cody and Page shake hands. Uh, Ethan Page attacks Cody Rhodes. Uh, because, you know, Ethan Page is sort of that heelish character still, but obviously we're all excited to see him, you know, just back on television. That you, I'll cheer for him no matter what. A destroyer by Penta onto Rhodes on the ladder that was draped from the ring apron to uh, the barricade. Nasty, nasty bump. Looked like it hurt Penta's hip as much as it hurt Cody Rhodes' head, if you will. Really, really nasty bump. Uh, Cody Rhodes is sent to the back to get me- medically checked. A great visual of four competitors reaching up for the brass ring. I hope they got a good picture of that because that that is a, the epitome of what a quote unquote professional wrestling is, and that's a coin term that Vince McMahon made. You know, reaching for that brass ring, but you can't reach for it because of the the glass ceiling that's above you. So, you know, the, all of them reaching at it. I thought that was a really really nice shot. I hope they got a really good picture of that because that was nice. Uh, Sky sent through a ladder by Archer on the outside. Cody Rhodes returns attacking with only one arm. Everyone gets a moment of their own towards the back end of the match where they get to show off their stuff in an individual sense where they just wipe house. Uh, Page connects with a low blow onto Archer. A short arm clothesline from Jake the State Roberts. I thought that was a fun spot. And then Penta super kicks Roberts uh, sitting him down if you will. Scorpio Sky grabs the brass ring and wins. 
So Scorpio Sky now has a title opportunity for the TNT Championship against Darby Allen. Uh, cool. I think this is fun. This is the only match that I got wrong in my predictions. So I thought it would go to the whoever the two be announced person would be. And given the fact that it was Ethan Page, I'm like, come on. You got to give it to Page. Listen, I guess if they're going by the gimmick name of the match, Face of the Revolution, this guy's been there for a really, really long time. He's been there for almost the beginning, uh, Sky. So I guess I, I get the point. But at the same time, uh, I feel like you bring in Page, you don't really want to waste him his debut without him picking up a victory there. And I felt like it would have been nice to see Paige hold that ring and get that title opportunity. What is bugging me, though, even about this in general, that Sky's uh, title opportunity is this Wednesday. So I guess they both went through a lot. We're going to talk about the Darby Allen match and Sting uh, match right after uh, the break. But uh, they both went through a lot. But for the fact that it's on Wednesday, I feel like it's a little bit too soon. A little bit too soon. But I could just be nitpicking here. Speaking of breaks, we're going to go into the break right now. Uh, we're going to do some On This Day in Pro Wrestling right after the break. And we're going to also talk about the AEW new signing, uh, the street fight match, and the main event of Kenny Omega versus John Moxley in an exploding barbed wire death match. So stick with us right here on the Daily DDT Podcast. On this day in pro wrestling history, on March 8th, 2010, TNA started the second Monday Night Wars. Uh, the first regularly scheduled Monday Impact had a major hook or a major drawing point that it was going to be the television in-ring return of Hulk Hogan and Ric Flair. Hulk Hogan, his last match, I believe, was before this episode of TNA back in 2010, was in 2006 at SummerSlam. And then Ric Flair's match before that, last one, was his retirement match against Shawn Michaels. So he making his in-ring return, not a good look on Ric Flair. I still think, to this day, it's still not a good look. Uh, despite all the effort from TNA to try to get viewers for that show, uh, they got absolutely destroyed by Monday Night Raw. A 3.4 rating for Raw compared to a, a 0.98 for TNA. Only if Raw could draw 3.4s today. Imagine that. If Raw draw 3.4s today, they'd be lucky if they get two. You know, that's that. That's tough. Uh, funny enough, I, I laughed at this the hardest when it came to, to TNA. The Thursday replay of the TNA did slightly higher ratings than the live show. The live show got 0 0.98. The replay got 1 mil straight. So <laughs> if, the, if the replay is beating the live, you know you got a problem. You know you got a problem. That, that was bad. Bad on impact. And uh, we might even see Impact being in even more trouble. This was this was 11 years ago. But we could see them be in some current trouble now if NXT makes their move to Tuesday nights. Because I know what I'm giving my rating to. I'm giving it to NXT, without a doubt. And then I'm going to have to go on Twitch or whatever and go watch Impact. Because I don't get access to TV. So <laughs> I go watch Impact then. Because... That's the only way. I'm not, not. I'm. There's no way I'm watching Impact Live over NXT. 
there's always a debate in my head, who am I giving the rating to this week when it comes to NXT and AEW? Usually it's how they do the week before or if they're having a big show, like if they're doing Crossroads or if they're doing, if NXT's having, uh, you know, like a special Wednesday night show, like New Year's Evil, right? I'll watch that, you know? that that That's type of my, my idea. And just also what the card looks like. But... If it comes down to NXT and Impact, it's going to be NXT every time, without a doubt. So it's going to be tough for them. Impact, they're going to, they're going to might have, they might have to move themselves again, and not to direct competition, just move to Thursday nights and just call it and be like, all right, whew, I've dodged the bullet there and get their own night back, you know, because Tuesday nights is to it be taken over by NXT would be really really tough for them. Getting back into our AEW. Revolution review and now we're starting off here this part two after the break we're going to be talking about right now uh, the Paul White announcement Paul White wasn't even involved in the segment funny enough but they had a big countdown and 321 the new AEW big signee with Hall of Fame potential is Christian Christian Cage and I called it that was it. That was my prediction. That was my number one. I gave you six names, but I told you my number one, the one I think it's going to be, it's going to be Christian. And there he was. Didn't say anything, I don't believe. I was I was excited, so I, I might have missed it. But uh, he didn't say anything. He just signed the contract, and uh, he, he walked out, smiled to the crowd, walked in the ring, waved, everything like that, and then walked out and promoted a new T-shirt that he was wearing. But hot take, hot take. Ethan Page is a better signing, without a doubt. I don't even think it's even close between Christian and Ethan Page. Well, how much more are you going to get out of Christian? You know, and at w- what big matches are you going to get out of Christian? Obviously, just, just starting at the top. I, mean, I know this might sound crazy, but him and Omega, they, I Christian Cage is not a legitimate champion in my eyes anymore. You know, he's been out of the game for very very long time and for him to come back and put himself into a title picture i think would be very very wrong of him and wouldn't be a legitimate champion in my eyes and it just makes no sense to me at all and also to the fact i'm not dissing christian i think he's great i think he's going to be a great talent for AEW for whatever he does however match he puts on a year whatever 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 but christian's not on anybody's mount rushmore you know that's the problem when you you announce that it's going to be a hall of, hall of fame potential talent is that you think about a lot of names you think about all these top names and you get it all rolling in your mind thinking that oh it could be this guy could be that guy I was, I was throwing around names like lesnar i was throwing around names like punk you know like these are not only hall of fame potential guys but guys that people put on their mount rushmore sometimes maybe not lesnar but maybe punk because they grew up on punk so no one, Christian's not on anybody's Mount Rushmore. Maybe for the Canadian Mount, Mount Rushmore, if you will. But it, no way. No way. Uh, I do like the signing. I think it's cool. They got him away from WWE. And I even think WWE might even leak this themselves. Not saying who it was off the jump, but by saying that uh, Christian is not under contract with the WWE. So thus slightly spoiling the surprise. Because... If that didn't come out, then we would have all assumed that he was under contract with the WWE in some way, shape, or form, given his appearance at the Royal Rumble. So, a lot of give and take here. I, at the end of the day, I wouldn't call it a nothing signing, because it definitely is something. It's Christian, 
and a, a guy that is highly respected in all brands from Impact to WWE to uh, now, I guess, AEW. But at the same time, a lot bigger names out there that we were all hoping and praying for for whatever reason. But uh, Christian it is, and we'll see sort of where it goes. But once again, I think Ethan Page was the way, way, way bigger signing for uh, AEW. Even though the name Ethan Page might not bring the casual fans, and Christian does, Ethan Page can make his name at AEW and become a, a huge star. A huge star. I, I'm putting the rocket on the back for Ethan Page. I think he, he could be some next level stuff if they, they book him not as a joke. If they book him, book him like a star that he should be. Looking at our street fight match, Sting and Darby Allen versus Team Taz. I didn't write a lot of notes for this match because I was so enthralled in how fantastic it was. It was a fantastic, fantastic match. Sting and Darby Allen versus Team Taz. Taz on commentary. Uh, it's a cinematic match. So much like, obviously, I'm going WWE here because that's the most relevant. Um, Firefly Funhouse, Boneyard, um, you know, cinematic idea. Something like that where it's not live, but it's it's cinematic. So I'm very excited that that happened uh, with uh, Team Taz walking in. It kind of looked like a video game entrance where the angles that they were using, I think that was intentional because it was so video game-esque. That you could almost not tell the difference. That's how good it was. Uh, face paint with Darby Allen and Sting when they made their entrance was like a mismatch, which I thought was beautiful. Beautiful with Sting wearing half of his face in Darby Allen's face paint and half of it of his own, and then Darby Allen doing the same. So he has the Sting face paint also along with his own. Awesome, 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 awesome. Unifying the two. Oh, oh my goodness. Like It's all the subtleties. And just from a production standpoint on its own, fantastic. Fantastic. Step Equal with WWE when it came to production value for cinematic matches. Equal. If maybe not better because Boneyard had some, some issues when it came to that, but not too much. It was still fantastic. Uh, but th- this production value, I, I, I might have to look back. And, and watch it again. And that this is definitely a match I would go back and watch again. But I don't remember seeing immediately any, if at all, any production, anything wrong with it at all. Because it was really at that next level type of focus and care and critique. That they really, this was something I think they labored over this, this match for Sting. Uh, Hobbs and Hawk interfere halfway through the match. Uh, for cinematic match, there was a lot of spots that actually looked like it hurt a lot. Like genuinely, a couple spots that looked like it hurt. Where Darby Allen took like a a window to the top of the head, and it's like the wooden part of it, so it really looked like it got him bad. But they kept it in, and it looked gruesome. But for a cinematic match, you don't really see the people getting hurt. He looked like he got hurt, hurt. Uh, skipping to the back end of the match, uh, there was a ring involved in like this warehouse. So Sting ends up connecting on the Scorpion Death Drop to pick up the victory. Uh, I don't do this match credit, once again, by by just speaking it to you. You need to go out and watch this match. If there's any match on... It's this match and the next match you're going to have to watch from this show that really at least made the show for me. And uh, I, I'm, I'm going to call it right now. 
And uh, I, I don't think I've called it for any other match. Up oh, there's one. Yeah, there's, there's two matches uh, that I could call it for. But this is a match of the year contender, without a doubt. This is easily one of the best cinematic cinematic matches I've ever seen. This is right up there with the Firefly Funhouse, even though the Firefly Funhouse match wasn't really a match. This felt like a wrestling match. It really did. It didn't feel like it was uh, gimmicky in any way. It honestly felt like you were playing a video game, and you're but you were actually doing wrestling in the video game. It wasn't it wasn't uh, as if it was uh, abnormal. So this was really really put together really well. Sting looked great, and. Uh, I understand why they do cinematic matches for Sting and for like guys like The Undertaker, guys like Sting, older guys that might not, you know, be that have that much stamina in the ring in front of a live audience. But they made Sting look fantastic. They made Darby Allen look fantastic. They look, man, Brian Cage looks so good on the cinematic look in the black and white. Oh my gosh, really, really well put together. This is a match of the year contender. This is right up there with Gargano and Kushida. Is right up there with uh, Balor and Pete Dunne, and right now, off the top of my head, those are the only three matches that are I, that really took me back. Those three matches. Uh, there's uh, obviously you can talk about some New Japan stuff, but I personally don't watch a lot of New Japan, so I couldn't put those in that rankings with you. But just talking straight, uh, strictly United States, uh, those three are are match of the year contenders as they currently stand right now, and. You know, for three matches, three months into the, into uh, twenty twenty one, not bad, not bad. But great time to be a wrestling fan. Well, oh, and maybe, uh, maybe even ah, I, I, I might have said Kenny Omega and Good Brothers at, at Impact and all that stuff like that. Are hard to kill. I gotta think about it. If I had to think about it, it's probably not a match of the year contender, but Moose, Moose making big jumps, big jumps. This is not an Impact time though. This is this is AEW. And now moving on to our main event, Kenny Omega versus John Moxley in an ex- exploding barbed wire death match for the AEW World Championship. Here we go, showtime, showtime. And uh, I said it in the prediction show uh, yesterday, and uh, and I, I felt it. I, I couldn't have been more excited. The, I was ready to go. A few weeks back. When it was first announced, ugh, I was kind of scared. I wasn't scared in a way where, like, exciting scared. I was sort of like, ugh, like, in a way, like, oh, man, like, I feel like they're really devaluing something. But no, now I felt I was ready to run through a brick wall for this match. I wanted to see it so, so bad. And in between the bells, it was really, really good. Uh, Don Callis was on commentary. Moxie was thrown into the barbed wire first. Great explosion into the barbed wire with a fantastic visual of Moxley's arms spread out uh, over the ropes and the barbed wire and him leaning back almost as the explosions uh, bursted up into the back of his head and his back. Really, not, They did a good job protecting the Omega and Moxley. The fireworks were, weren't projecting into the ring. They are projecting out of the ring, but it was so close. It looked really, really, really nice. Uh, Moxley bleeding profusely early on. I haven't seen that much blood on a mainstream show in a long, long time. Like really, like a crimson, crimson mask that uh, that stained Moxley for quite some time early on. Uh, Moxley thrown to the barbed wire board that was on the turnbuckle sides. 
of uh, facing away from the hard camera. Omega went face first into the explosion, then pushed back into the ropes again, which caused another explosion. So it wasn't just you touch the ropes one time, it just exploded once, and that's it. They had like two charges on them, and I thought that was great. Omega put into the barbed wire board himself. Uh, Omega and Moxley both put into the ropes because Omega uh, ran into Moxley, just driving them both into it together. Moxley's, uh, excuse me, not Moxley's, Omega's eyes got exploded there because <laughs> he was like face first into it. They had, they had a call for water, and he put water into his eyes and all stuff like that. Um, paradigm shift onto the boards that were on the outside. Uh, this was a nice spot, but the explosions were a little lackluster. They just went up in the air and didn't really feel like it was anywhere near Moxley or Omega. Uh, music sounds with a 10-minute warning before the ring explodes. That This is where the match starts to pick up, and this is where there's some debate. Omega hits the one-wing angel. Moxley hits the ropes that were right next to him causing an explosion, thus kicking out of the one-winged angel. Don Callis tried his best profusely, and I think the whole point of this was to continue to say that the one-winged angel is a move that has never been kicked out of, but, and this is a big but, on a big stage, where this kind of felt like a kick-out. It wasn't a kick-out in the sense of he lifted the shoulder, that's it, he kicked out of it. No. It was not that. But Moxley used his leg to cause a, not a distraction, but it caused a, something to let Omega be launched off of him, and that was an explosion. So if you want to say the one-wing angel has never been kicked out of, but it's been exploded out of, I guess that's a fair point. But this walked the line for me when it came to if, if the move has ever been kicked out of or not. I'd rather them not do that. I'd rather him done a V-trigger. Same same type of scenario. Done a V-trigger right up to the ropes. And then he kicks out with the explosion. I thought that would have been fine. Don't mess with the one-wing angel like that. Doing You don't want to... It's one of the most protected moves in professional wrestling with Kenny Omega. You do not want to mess it up. And you don't want to waste the kick out on accident for whatever reason. You know, I guess if any stage is going to be the stage to do it, this was it. But even maybe this even wasn't it. I really don't think so. Uh, but either way, the Good Brothers enter. Omega connects with uh, exploding barbed wire bat. So he had the bat, hit Moxie over the head with it, and it exploded in the fireworks sense. And that, that was an awesome spot. Omega connects with the one wing angel again and wins the match. So Omega retains the AW World Championship. Awesome match between the belts. Awesome match. Now getting to the end of the show. The Good Brothers hand uh, handcuff Moxley after uh, the match. Uh, a minute countdown hits and everyone runs away with Moxley stuck in the ring. Eddie Kingston comes out to save John Moxley, but he can't get him out of the ring in time, so he covers him. For the explosions as it counts down. 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. And as we all get ready for the explosion, a dud. Sparkles go up from the ring posts. Little puffs of smoke come out of the ring posts. And then big explosions outside of the ring. 
relatively big. But nothing that was going to do any damage to anybody. It was a dud. It was an absolute dud. And then the show faced to black. And that's it. Right done. What a shame. An absolute shame for AEW. Are you kidding me? You promote a death match. And if anybody, anybody's going to be willing to lay in the middle of that ring as fireworks and explosions bombard it, it's going to be John Moxley. It's going to be him. If anybody's willing to do it, it's going to be John Moxley. And for you, AEW, to put on a, a Gilbert Sparkle Fest, I see worse. On the Kane's entrance looks worse than that. Come on. Are you kidding me, AEW? So now, after the show, in the post conference interview with Tony Khan, and this is all media stuff coming after the fact, and this is them trying to describe it. They, they, they said that uh, Kenny Omega built the ring. Quote, kayfabe. Kenny Omega built it, and his evil plan of exploding the ring at the end didn't work. No, no. I'm not accepting that. I'm not accepting that kayfabe-ness. I'm not. Because this could have gone two ways. They were probably waiting to see what our reactions were going to be. Whether it was going to be, oh, that was so cool. That was such a great explosion at the end. They would have been like, yep, yeah, that was that was it. Good job. Or they thought it was, we thought it was going to be a dud, which it was. It was a dud. And then they come out and say that. Where it's like, oh, the, the, the Kenny Omega's plan didn't work out. You know, yada, yada, yada. No. Be, be better, AEW. You promote a death match. Not that I want to see someone die, but I want to see the ring explode. The, simple as this. Because honestly, the, the rope stuff looked way better than the end of the show explosion. Have explosions come out from the bottom of the ring and the bottom of the, the, the curtain, the, the ring skirt, right? Have Moxley and Kingston in a designated spot on the right. Just have them on the right hand side of the ring, right? And then have a big explosion come out of the left hand side of the ring, okay? There has to be a way to make that work. You really, I wanted to see the ring genuinely explode. Or get him out of the ring, Moxley, so he doesn't have to be in there. And he pulls him away at the nick of time. If you want to tell that story with, with Moxley and Kingston together and Kingston you know, forgiving Moxley's sins and pulling him out of the ring and saving him and the ring actually genuinely explodes. But we needed to see more because... The most important part of a show is how it starts and how it ends. And especially how it ends, because look at me right now. Pretty good AEW pay-per-view. But it ended with such a sour taste that it sort of affected everything else that was on that card. Everything. So, with that being said, final grade, going with a B. If there was a big explosion at the end, this probably might be an A show. I'm not lying to you. They had some great moments in here. Throughout the whole show, the Kenny Omega, the, between the bells, the exploding barbed wire death match was great. It was really, really good. Something that we haven't seen on American television in a long time. And I thought it was genuinely delivered in between the bells. After the match, end of the show, was really bad. Like, we don't really see AEW do a lot of bad things. 
as in, like, you know, we talk about Raw, like, oh, that show was bad. Oh, we talk about Impact, oh, they have bad production value. That end of AEW revolution was bad. Simple as that. Simple as that. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm happy with the B grade because uh, I might be a little a little salty, but, you know, I paid my money for it. I want to see a big explosion, damn it. Gosh. All right. Next episode, uh, we're going to be talking about tonight's Monday Night Raw. And it uh, should be fun. We're going through, uh, heading towards Fastlane. And uh, Impact Sacrifice is coming up with uh, Moose and Rich Swan. Uh, that's going to be this Saturday. I will have my predictions for that, uh, of course. And yeah, uh, I'm happy to be here with you riding along this road to WrestleMania with the WWE. Let's see what the fallout after this AEW revolution is going to be. Uh, no titles changed hands. And the, the, the match that uh, Darby Allen had didn't change hands. He didn't lose. So uh, we'll see where it all goes from here. We'll see where it all goes from here. Uh, that's all for me. You can catch this podcast on all your favorite providers. Make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts so you never miss an episode. And remember, you can ask your smart device to play the Daily DDT Podcast. If you like content like this, check out our writers at DailyDDT.com. And if you want to hear more from me, give me a follow on Twitter and Instagram at JadenBeckerTV. I'll see you tomorrow with another episode of the Daily DDT Podcast.